Hello again. Uh, this is the um, first of a two-part podcast about climbing Kilimanjaro. And this particular part of it is is really looking at the preparation that I did ahead of going. And it might sound like an odd thing to uh, do, but I'm, I'm a big believer that the, the best way you can set yourself up for a successful trip is to do some research and do some preparation and make sure that you do everything before you leave to set yourself up for a good trip because if you miss something important um, at that stage you can end up with a trip that really doesn't um, work out for you so I guess quick word about Kilimanjaro so I actually did mine with a company called Inspired Adventures who are based in Sydney and they do a lot of these kind of more adventurous um, walks and climbs and projects and they all have a charity aspect to them so I was part of the Climb for Kids 2017 and we were raising money for UNICEF Australia. And in addition to paying to go on the uh, the climb, uh, we, we all each had to raise four thousand dollars Australian. Now um, it was up to you how you did how you funded your um, climb. You could certainly fundraise the money to cover your costs as well, but you had to state that in your fundraising um, goals. So you you actually got letters and things from UNICEF to say you were a legitimate uh, fundraiser. Uh, so that was really up to you. And as a group, I've forgotten how many of us were in there. There's probably about a dozen of us. Uh, I think we raised about eighty-four, eighty-five, excuse me, $85,000. Some people did really well. Um, I did my four. I was really pleased with that. I have to say I absolutely hated fundraising and, and asking people for money. But um, uh, there you go. So that was one aspect of it. And Kilimanjaro itself, it's... Um, Basically, the it's certainly the tallest freestanding mountain in Africa. It stands at a height of 5,896 metres at the peak, which is 19,340 feet. And when I was thinking about doing this before I'd even signed up, I've got a book called Life at the Extremes by Francis Ashcroft. And one of the opening stories is about somebody climbing Killy. I'm not sure if that was Francis or not. But they did it in three and a half days, and um, this person did suffer from altitude sickness, which can be pretty nasty, and also noted that a, a few weeks, I think, before that story, um, a couple of people had died climbing Killy, and that they died because they did the ascent too fast. They did it in three and a half days. And so this is one of the first things to understand when you start doing this kind of a trip, that what's going on at over 5,000 metres is not what's going on at sea level. So the um, obviously the air is much thinner up there. Um, water boils at a much lower temperature. But also your ability to absorb oxygen is reduced and that's down to sort of parts per million of oxygen in the atmosphere and all this sort of stuff. So there's a whole load of things about that you can read about. But the bottom line is that um, altitude sickness is a real um, thing to think about. And the other thing about it is, and I did a bit of research, also went to remember going to talk at the Australian Museum about it. Uh, as far as I know, we still don't un understand why certain people get altitude sickness and why some don't. But it's it's one of those things that really for everybody, they, they need to apply a certain amount of care and consideration before they do a trip like this. And... Because of the height of Kilimanjaro, because it's above 5,000 metres, as I understand it, I did used to know these all really well. Um, I think anywhere above two to 3,000 metres, you have to begin to think about acclimatising. When you start getting higher than that, 
uh, you definitely have to acclimatize so up to about the 5,000 meter mark. But once you get above the 5,000 meter mark, you, you can't actually acclimatize. So what do I mean by acclimatizing? It means you, you give your body time to adjust to the difference in air pressure and the availability of oxygen. And after a few days, generally, your body will begin to get used to it. So hence, doing a climb like that in three and a half days is, is, is just done because obviously the people who died, their bodies just couldn't cope at all with it. And I didn't suffer from altitude sickness, but I can tell you certainly on the um, the final camp before we did the ascent, and I'll talk about the actual climb itself in the next podcast, putting on a pair of trousers and socks probably took me at least 15 minutes and I was absolutely exhausted at the end of it. So it's, um, it's quite significant that the difference that that shortage of oxygen makes so that kind of leads me on to the first thing that I looked at, and that was what could I do to kind of stack the odds in my favour, given that I had no idea if I was going to suffer from altitude sickness or not. So I decided I was always start, I'd already started to do short runs, sort of 5k runs, and I think I might have done one 9k, and decided that was the way to go. So I started doing distance running, started doing a few 10k runs. I did. City to Surf in Sydney, which is 14Ks, and a very painful <laughs> Heartbreak Hill is a killer. Um, it, that's kind of not the best run to do because it's really busy at the beginning and you just can't get going. But um, yeah, aside from that, it was it was a, a way of trying to get fit. And then I did my first half marathon, um, the Sydney Morning Herald half marathon in the May of 2017. And I um, found that pretty hard going as well. But all of that training was helping. Plus, I was doing a lot of walks. So, um, uh, the in fact, Inspired Adventures would organise regular walks at different spots around Sydney. And that was that would be for anybody doing one of their projects. And I did a few of those. I also used to do Spitbridge to Manly um, quite regularly, which if anyone knows Northern Beaches in Sydney, that's a great walk. It's roughly 10Ks, but it's up and down a fair bit. Excuse me. And um, so it's actually quite a good practice um walk just as a way of acclimatizing in fact in the end um i used to get the bus down to taronga zoo in um uh, sort of sort of through mossman and basically walk from taronga zoo round to manly which would have been about a five hour walk so basically the whole point with training was combining running and sort of longer distance running with these longer hikes and on the hikes i'd load up my backpack i'd be wearing my boots my proper walking boots and i went to a proper store to get the right boots um, so they have to fit well and also you've got to be able to walk in them comfortably going uphill and that this um, I've forgotten the name it was one of the specialist shops in Sydney anyway and I apologize for forgetting the name but the chap there who helped me was really helpful and he'd also uh, been to Tanzania and spent some time in Gorogoro Crater doing um, uh, wildlife research I seem to recall and um, that, that was where I was going afterwards I decided to stay on in Tanzania for a few more days and go to uh, in Gorogoro Crater, I'd always wanted to go to the Serengeti for, for a long time. I wanted to go there, so here was my chance. But I thought I'd do it after the climb, so that I didn't have any sort of silly accidents before the climb and get the climb out of the way and then have fun. So the boots were really important, and in fact, we were told on the flight to make sure we wore our boots and don't put them in our stowed luggage. 
uh, because if the bags got lost, then at least we had our boots. We might have to, you know, we could rent other things in Arusha, which is the, the town where most of the Kili stuff starts from. Uh, but getting your boots, and of course you've got to wear them in long before you go, hence I was using them for all of these long distance hikes. Uh, that's a really important bit of kit. So that was one aspect of it. Another thing was uh, with getting fit, um, I grew up learning about Chris Bonington, who if you grew up in England in the 70s and 80s, you, you 90s, you would have known of him as a, a mountaineer and a bit of an adventurer. Well, as it turned out, in the next suburb to me, in a suburb called Brookvale, um, his son, Joe, has uh, a place called Joe's Base Camp, and it's a a gym, but it specializes for people who are doing adventure trips. Now, I went in doing Killy, <laughs> and they actually have a big board up as you walk in, which has all the different people and what they're doing. I'm not even sure I even made it on the board, because uh, Killy is um, a bit of the entry-level thing there. You know, the kind of people who go there, these are people going to climb Everest and stuff like that. So there's some really serious stuff. Some of the trips are really exciting, but um, yeah, I <laughs> I was I was definitely in the beginner's um, <clears throat> area there. But I had some really good um, physio there and good training. So I was working on my knee joint, uh, a knee joint so that um, I could handle the weight. We, they had me lugging this huge rig full of weights and things and all of that. And yeah, so it was all good training. And they even had a running machine in an altitude chamber. So I did a, a few runs on that. That isn't quite so useful because you only really get, when you're running at altitude, it's good, but you have to do it over an extended period. So this is why some of these runners in things like Olympics and competition runs who do really well at ground at sea level events, but they live at higher altitudes. They've got an advantage because if they if they leave the change from high altitude down to sea level as late as possible, their lungs and their whole physiology is set up to burn oxygen at a much lower air pressure. So getting it at sea level is like Christmas, you know, and you you they really burn um, oxygen very very well. So anyway, I kind of put all this training together and um, got myself ready to to go. So that was one aspect of it, just getting physically fit. And the other thing was medication. Now, I'd, there's a thing called Dymox, which a lot of people use up there, and it is designed to reduce the effects of altitude sickness. It's designed to help your body take in oxygen. But I was, I'm not a big one for taking medication if I don't need to, and I was reading different things about it, and it seemed kind of didn't really matter one way or the other was the vibe I got and I had a chat to my my doctor who was kind of getting the same message but when I got to Killy we had a doctor leading us and she absolutely recommended it and I have to say I, I would probably echo that so if you are thinking about Dymox and if it's worth it I would I would recommend you take it and get your doctor to um, um, prescribe it for you because it does help you and the last thing you want is to get altitude sickness because that just destroys your climb so um that was the physical thing. Now, um, there are a couple other aspects. So one of them is photography. I'll talk about that. So in our equipment, we were allowed to take two bags with us. One we would carry on our back. So that would be our backpack. And I actually took my camera backpack because it's got hip straps and works pretty well. We could carry up to seven kilos in that. And that would include everything we needed on the day. So sugary snacks, lots of water. You drink a lot of water when you're climbing. And... Um, also, you need to keep eating food because what happens at altitude 
is that you lose your appetite and uh, you, you lose your taste a little bit as well. Now, I'm not that bothered by that because I'm not a foodie particularly, but the um, I, but I wasn't really interested in eating and used to just force myself to eat so that my body had fuel. So you could carry snacks with you and the idea was when we'd have a, a rest on the climb, we'd just have a snack or two and then carry on. Um, so that was the main bag that we carried with us. The other bag contained our sleeping bag, any other kit we had. I had an inflatable thing that went underneath my sleeping bag, um, all of that stuff. And that was in a larger bag, and that was limited to 10 kilos. And that would be carried by the porters. We had this whole team of porters who were absolutely amazing, who were carrying all the food, all the water, a toilet. Um, well, I think there were two toilets. Um, all of our personal 10 kilo bags. And um, everything else, our tents, everything else that was needed to get us up to the top of the mountain. And those guys were absolutely brilliant. So that was the stuff we had. And with my camera, what I decided to do, I took my, I had a Canon EOS 5DS. And what I found from a company called Peak Design in the States, they do a clip and it actually clips onto the front of the sh one of the shoulder straps from the backpack. And you can clip your camera onto it. And I had... So with the 5DS, I actually have the battery extension on the bottom because I like it when I'm using the longer lens. And I had taken extra gear with me to do the sort of safari-ish part of it. But that I left at the hotel. So I had another bag that I'd left at the hotel. And that had most of my lenses and camera gear in. But I did take the, the body, obviously, in the wide angle with me. And I was a bit concerned about not being able to recharge my batteries because once we were going up there, that wasn't an option. I had looked at some solar charging gear, but in the end decided against it because of the weight. And um, I have four of the standard Canon batteries for that sort of camera, because I've also got a Enios 7D that uses, uses the same batteries and I also have the extension for that. So I finished up just taking all of my batteries with me and having them either in my backpack. And I kept, um, so one battery being the camera and the other one I kept in my clothing close to my body just to keep it warm in case I had problems with the uh, the temperature. As it turned out, it was all good. I think I managed to do the whole trip on the one battery, and um, that worked out pretty well. But that was another aspect of it. Um, I did take the tripod because I tried some Astro one night, which was freezing cold, but I'm pleased I did it. And also had a remote control to help me with the Astro, but that was pretty much it. Um, the other thing to, to think about is clothing. So I did buy um, a lot of clothing from a company called Icebreaker. They do really good lightweight clothing um they have these um sort of fleece jackets or sort of downy jackets but they look really thin and they're very very light but they're really warm and i had a couple of those um and also some of their underwear is great as well because it, it actually you can rinse it and it's dry really quickly so things like that were very important because um a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the clothes got reused a lot um so I doubt any of, any of us were that fresh when we got back down from the mountain, but, you know, the key thing was to just keep the weight down. So um, so that's really it. And then the final thing to think about is equipment you need. So I did buy a sleeping bag. I bought Four Seasons. I bought this uh, inflatable um, thing to go underneath it. I forget the terms. I'm not really a, a camper. Um, I probably bought some of the inflatable pillow and that sort of stuff. So I had all of that gear. Um now, Inspired did give us some recommendations, but unfortunately with the sleeping bag, they got it wrong. So the bag I had, and I had a sleeping bag liner as well, and I thought that would be enough. But in fact, when we were uh, when we met the, the sort of team 
the overall exhibition leader on the ground uh, when we were in Arusha, um, he told me my, my sleeping bag was not enough and, and basically I had to just hire another one which was much thicker and I have to say um, I think that was a 30 degree C bag or something like that but even with that I was still cold at night um, I, I was in a small tent on my own I did the kind of solo traveler thing and I think if you're in a tent with somebody else the sort of the, I think the combined body heat probably works a bit better in there but I, I certainly on my own I, I was just very cold in my tent um, even with the sleeping bag on and uh, you know the other stuff I was putting on I was sort of cold a lot of the time there so um the other thing with clothing oh the little um no, I don't know what we call these things but they sort of go around your neck it's, it's like a sort of a big sock that's open at both ends so they're great though because you can pull them around over your neck and have them over your chin or pull them right over your head I had a couple of those things and they were really good so they're, they're a, a something I would definitely recommend um we needed to be pretty well insulated for the final climb because it was very cold. So I had inner gloves, uh, thermal inner gloves, and then outer gloves, um, multiple pairs of socks on, um, full-length underwear, <clears throat> um, then sort of fleecy pant things and outer pants, and the same with the sort of upper body, um, the sort of uh, thermal underwear. Um, I can't remember, I remember that. It would have been uh, the sort of T-shirt things, um, at least I think I had about five layers on my upper body and in the, the outer was a um, this um, sort of Gore-Tex uh, jacket which was brilliant and the Gore-Tex is great because it breathes um, if you just wear a plastic sort of Mac I did that on training once and I got quite hot I was in the Spitbridge to Manly Walk and it had been raining a lot but in between the rain it was actually quite warm and when I got to the point where I just took the um, this uh, waterproof jacket off, it was actually I actually had water running out of it from where I'd been sweating because this thing did not breathe at all. Whereas Gore-Tex is great, so I did spend a fair bit of money, definitely on the boots, definitely on Gore-Tex, definitely on the other clothing. But I have to say it was well worth it, and I've used all of that stuff since when I've been on um, other trips that were not as demanding, but it's just really good quality clothing to have, and it just makes a big difference. So um, that I think is the really what I wanted to cover in this first podcast talking about Kili and I wanted to share all of this because you might not be thinking about climbing Kilimanjaro but whatever trip you're doing if, if you just put a bit of thought into the environment you're going into as well as the you know the obvious stuff the fun stuff the camera stuff uh, but there may be other things you need to think about and we all you know and sometimes you need certain vaccinations like uh, um, yellow fever that that's kind of point in some places you might need rabies uh, there might be other things you need to have but also think about things like Dymox and really get recommendations if you can from somebody else who's done the same trip so I'm going to stop there and I'll talk to you again in the next podcast where I'll talk more about what it was like to do the actual climb so um, I'll speak to you then <laughs> bye for now just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, You'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So 
there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. 